Good morning. As we turn in the Scriptures this morning, we're going to the book of Luke, chapter 19, beginning in verse 28 and reading through verse 44. Please rise as we read the word of the Lord together. When he had said these things, this is Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that were made for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your salvation. You may be seated. Well, it is Palm Sunday, and normally we have palm fronds to wave, but we'll probably have them next week to wave at that point in time. And, you know, maybe this is a good thing because it seems like the church is celebrating Easter a week early. As Christ enters Jerusalem, this is really not a triumphal entry. In fact, there's a lot of hard and difficult things that are going to happen in the following days. And truly, Easter, the day of the resurrection, is the day that perhaps people should be waving the fronds and celebrating the Lord as He rises from the dead. But yet we have here in Scripture, in all four Gospels, a picture of Jesus entering Jerusalem, and it's a demonstration. You know what demonstrations are. Demonstrations are things we see oftentimes on the TV. People marching down the street, carrying signs, of lifting up a cause, whether it be abuse of the government, or civil rights, or immigration, or, or racial issues, or all sorts of things. Demonstrations seem to get our attention. And as they do, they um, oftentimes cause us to see the TV suddenly interrupted with 
breaking news. And, and you know, May 1st is, used to be a day in which you got the flowers and put them on your neighbor's porch and rang the doorbell and took off. But May Day has now become for Seattle a day of terror. Businesses in downtown Seattle board up their windows. Multiple demonstrations appear on the streets and somewhere along the line, anarchists and others start breaking windows and setting fires and it's not a very pleasant thing. And yet when we look at this incident in Jesus' life, it is a demonstration. Something to get attention. Something that makes a whole city aware that Jesus has arrived. You know, you might be sitting there like watching one of those shows like Chris Fledge recommended um, Kobe Kai and The Detectors or um, Ben Franklin, and all of a sudden the TV puts on your screen this breaking news. There's a demonstration at the East Gate. And the TV reporters are getting out there. They're starting to interview people. They're collecting cell phone videos and uploading them to show in their broadcast. And, of course, invariably they'll show you a map of the city and show you where these things are taking place. And, and they, it started over on the other side of the Mount of Olives at the little town called Bethany, up on the high stony ridge there. And uh, sometime around midday... Uh, group of disciples, in fact a fairly large crowd of people, started heading towards Jerusalem and, and a couple of the disciples got a donkey. You know, beast of burden, a donkey, a young donkey. Nobody ever even sat on that donkey. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it because they didn't have a saddle, obviously. And Jesus sat on it as they proceeded along the ridge through the, the groves of olives and fig trees and stuff. They got to a point where they could see this, the city beginning to be exposed before them. And, and the crowds began to sing and chant. And then as they proceeded farther on, they came up to the crest. Now, the Mount of Olives is 200 feet higher than Jerusalem. And at the crest, suddenly the whole city is laid out before you. Everything from the southern end to the Temple Mount. And it's like it rises up out of this deep valley, this escarpment that drops down. Then the road goes steeply down the hill and across the Kidron Valley right into the East Gate where the city of Jerusalem is. You know, we've got some video, some brief snippets of what happened. And uh, this time, maybe we'll run that. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? He's a prophet. A great prophet. A prophet? On a donkey? Listen to the healing of the sick! Isaiah said, Jerusalem, daughter of Zion, behold thy king! Master, you are the hope of Israel. 
maybe that gives you a feel for that demonstration, the, the chaos, the confusion, the crowds, all the things that were happening as that procession went into Jerusalem that day. And we have some accounts from people that witnessed this in the Scriptures. There are four Gospels, and those four Gospels, each one represent a different person's viewpoint on this thing. Now, TV reporters oftentimes will interview a bystander, tell us what's going on here, how do you feel? I don't know why they ask that question. They always ask, how do you feel? Or perhaps they talk to someone that's marching along in the procession. Or maybe they go to a government official or somebody else that's observing the thing. And maybe they even consult an expert on the issue. As we look at these four accounts in the four Gospels, and it's significant there are four accounts of the triumphal entry. There's only two of Jesus' birth. And the baptism takes up only a few verses, but, but we have four accounts with four different viewpoints, as it were, of what Jesus did that day. And as we do this, we have to notice there are certain things that are in common. Jesus and a crowd came to Jerusalem, Jesus riding on a borrowed donkey. The crowd began throwing their cloaks in the road and, and waving palm branches and chanting and singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they arrived in Jerusalem. Well, let's look for a moment at those individual gospel accounts. The first one we see is Mark. Now, Mark was the first gospel written. Mark was a young man, probably a teenager, perhaps, at the time of the triumphal entry. It was in his family home that the um, Last Supper took place. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, it appears, when Jesus was arrested. He was a witness, and he gives us an account, and basically he tells us the facts. This is what happened. I'm describing the event for you. He tells us, uh, before he begins this account, that Jesus had been in Jericho, that Jesus had taken some blind men and given them sight, and then he had proceeded up through Bethany in Bethany to Jerusalem. And he had a borrowed donkey. Jesus sent two of his disciples to get this donkey. It must have been a significant donkey because the Gospels all make such a big deal about the fact that they were supposed to go and just take this animal and bring it to Jesus. There's the cloaks and the branches that Mark describes. And when it all ends, Jesus just looks around for a while and then goes back to Bethany. Now, Bethany is only a two-mile, less than two-mile walk from the East Gate. It's a short trip. I mean, how many of us go for morning walks and cover that distance easily? And Bethany would become, as it were, Jesus' place of lodging at night during the coming week. But for this moment, it's a demonstration, and the people shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. For as the theme of Mark teaches us, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then there's Matthew. Now Matthew was a tax man. He was one of Jesus' twelve disciples. He had traveled with Jesus on many of his ministries, and he was particularly concerned about his Jewish brethren. And so he put together a gospel, and he had Mark's probably to consult on this 
Project and some other sources. And he wrote a gospel in a topical format, so he groups together various discourses and parables and other things to describe Jesus' words and deeds. He was in the crowd, apparently. You get the feeling as you're reading his account that he was there, probably with the group following Jesus uh, down that hill. He's looking at these great crowds, the crowds that came, that followed the crowds before, and, and he's right in the middle of it. He talks as particular about the prophecy that was fulfilled in the donkey. And yet, John tells us that they didn't understand these things till after the resurrection. But he makes a big deal about this as well as the crowds. And he ends up by telling us the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? Well, it's Jesus the prophet from Galilee and Nazareth. Then there's Luke. Luke is the longest account of the triumphal entry. Now, he was one of Paul's fellow missionaries, his beloved physician. He traveled with Paul. And when Paul was imprisoned for two years in Jerusalem, apparently Luke did a lot of research. He talked to a lot of people that witnessed what Jesus had done. And so as he writes this account, he gives us more information than any of the others. Um, there's more verses here. The other accounts are like 10, 11 verses. This one is 17. He focuses in particular on Jesus. And his viewpoint seems to be like you're standing right beside Jesus on the Mount of Olives. He's the one who tells us that Jesus refused to silence the crowds. He's the one that weeps over Jerusalem's unbelief. And he ends up by saying, Woe to you, Jerusalem, you did not understand the time of your visitation. The crowds chanted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Luke tells us the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And then we look at the Gospel of John. Now, the other three Gospels we call the synoptics because they're very similar in the material they cover. John gives us a very unique perspective. It's like he's writing from looking down from Jerusalem as these things are taking place. He must have lived in Jerusalem. He was of a priestly class of society. And much of his Gospel talks about what Jesus did in Jerusalem, the various appearances he made. And he gives us unique material. The Upper Room Discourses. Half of his gospel covers the last week of Jesus' life. From his perspective, this is all about the opposition to Jesus. He tells us about the Pharisees and Sadducees who have plotted to kill Jesus. And earlier in the previous chapters, he tells us that they were determined to kill him. But they didn't want to do it during the feast because they didn't want to get the crowd excited. But they were plotting against him. And he's the one that tells us about Lazarus. And he's the one that tells us the crowds were attracted not only to Jesus, but because they'd heard Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And so many of them went to Bethany, to Lazarus' home, where Jesus was being entertained. And where that's how such a large crowd began the journey on the day of the Palm Sunday. His disciples did not understand these things, John tells us, until after the resurrection. But yet... Jesus made these things clear, perhaps on the road to Emmaus, how all these things pointed to him. John ends up with the reaction of the Pharisees. Look, our plan is not working. 
The whole world is going after him. We've got to do something now. John proclaims, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming on a donkey's colt. A quotation from Zechariah 9. Hosanna, the crowds cried. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. John wrote these things that you might believe in Christ, the Son of God, and then by believing you might have life in his name. But there's two passages in the Old Testament we must consider too. The first one is from Psalm 118. The crowds were chanting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And these were quotations, as it were, from the Old Testament, where blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, has made his light shine upon us with bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. In this psalm, there's also a lot of messianic predictions, one of which I put on the screen. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. But there's another passage that's very crucial to this event. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. The writers of the Gospels point to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Well, our reporters have interviewed a few of those who experienced the triumphal entry of Jesus. And there's two things that I want to bring out from this. The first point is simply, this was a spontaneous and chaotic enthusiasm demonstrated on that road. The next slide, which represents the other half we're going to look at, is who is this? What is Jesus intending to accomplish with this demonstration? Well, now we're going to stop looking at slides for a moment and explore the Word of God and the events that took place. You might have noticed that obviously things are happening. Jerusalem at this point in time is nearing the point of Passover. The city is packed. Jerusalem normally was a city of maybe 25,000 people. But during the time of Passover, four times that number packed the city and the area around it. As Jewish people came from all over the, the region for the time of Passover to come to the temple to offer their offerings and other things. And so there are crowds of people. There are caravans of people coming. And they're all talking. There's a buzz going about. Is this Jesus we've been hearing about? Is he going to come? And there's concern. There are those that are very worried that he will come. And he will cause problems. And the Romans will crack down on this rebellion and bring suffering upon the people. They will destroy our city. And as we look at what the scriptures teach us, it reveals to us that they were looking forward to Jesus bringing the kingdom. 
Luke tells us in chapter 19, he tells us that Jesus is going to bring in the kingdom. Though Jesus had made it clear himself in Luke chapter 17 that his kingdom was not the kingdom they're expecting. His kingdom was within. The kingdom of God has transformed hearts and will become an ongoing thing to the ends of the earth. At the same time, there are large crowds of disciples people that have believed in Jesus. Now, Jesus has been ministering away from Jerusalem. Every time he would come to Jerusalem, opposition would become very strong. And so he would minister in Galilee. And there came a point where after he fed 5,000 people, and all four Gospels tell us about this too, they were ready to make him a king. And so Jesus withdrew to the north. He went up into the region up through there, Caesarea Philippi, and he ministered there. He went up on the mountain. Transfiguration took place. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, a prophet, or, or perhaps he is to come. And, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, we know you are the Messiah, the Christ. And at that point, Jesus shifts his attention. Now, he continues to minister in Transjordan, the area east of the Jordan River, what's now Jordan and going down into Perea, but his face is now set. According to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, his face is set towards Jerusalem. Now, sometime prior to this Holy Week, Jesus hears that a very good friend, Lazarus, has died. And Jesus goes to Bethany, and he's already in the tomb, and Jesus raises him back to life. We're told Jesus wept because of the sorrow that sin brought death into the world. And word started getting around about Lazarus being raised from the dead. This attracted a lot of attention. During this time in Perea, Jesus had been sending out his disciples. First, he sent out the 12 to go two by two and preach the gospel. And then he sent 70 people out. And lots of people had been won to the faith. Jesus had put in some brief appearances in Jerusalem. People had believed. There were lots and lots of people that believed in Christ in that area around Jerusalem that day. The Gospels tell us a couple of different things about the day as we approached it. First of all, we read in Mark and, and Luke and also in Matthew that Jesus came through Jericho. In Jericho, a couple of miraculous things happened. This guy was crying out as the crowds were going by. And there was a big crowd. It was a caravan of people on their way to Jerusalem. Many of these people perhaps came from Galilee. Many of these people were aware that Jesus was with them. This crowd comes, and this crowd is there, and the guy's crying out in his blindness. He's saying, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And Jesus gives him sight. There were other blind men he healed. And then there was a guy, this little guy named Zacchaeus. And the crowd was so great going down the road, and he just wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. He had to climb a tree. And Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight. We're going to talk about these things. And then Luke concludes by saying, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And we proceed to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, John tells us that Jesus didn't go straight to Jerusalem, though. He stopped over in Bethany. It was the time of Sabbath. They probably arrived on a Friday night into Bethany, and Jesus stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they had a big dinner for him on the Sabbath 
the evening of the Sabbath. Now, the Jewish people, of course, do not travel on the Sabbath, and they, they observe it as a holy day. But as soon as the sun goes down, people started coming out of Jerusalem because they heard from the caravan people that already arrived in Jerusalem that Jesus was coming. And so, so they began to, to come as a crowd of people. They wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to see this, you know, they'd heard about this guy being raised from the dead. They just wanted to see it with their own eyes. They heard about Jesus. And so they began trickling into Bethany. And this little town on the east side of the Mount of Olives is starting to see crowds gathering. And there are disciples that are with Jesus and others. And, and come Sunday morning. Well, probably it was well into the early afternoon because you know when you get a chaotic crowd like this and you got to go fetch a donkey send some disciples to get a donkey and bring it back you know for Jesus to ride and all this stuff they gradually begin to proceed to Jerusalem John tells us that while he was in Bethany some rather significant things happened Mary had anointed him with perfume. She had poured out a huge bottle of very expensive perfume, probably half a year's wages. And Judas was so upset that he made up his mind that he was going to betray Jesus. Now, the, the Pharisees had already put out reports they wanted to arrest Jesus, and he heard about this, and maybe he was always interested in the money. So that took place also that night previous to Jesus riding to Jerusalem. Okay, so there's a crowd of people, and Jesus on this donkey, borrowed donkey, no saddle, they threw their cloaks over him, they start proceeding, and as they proceed along the road, people are talking about the things Jesus has done. Uh, somebody starts singing the halals. The halals are the psalms that the pilgrims would sing as they would go into Jerusalem, and one of them is Psalm 118. And people began to realize, Jesus, this, is, this could be the very one who is coming in the name of the Lord. They, and Mark tells us they were singing, and through the singing became quite a celebration. People started throwing off their cloaks and putting them on the pathway along. It's kind of like, you know, a red carpet without a red carpet, so they improvise. And, and, they, and they start pulling down palm branches and waving them. And the celebration begins. And as they proceed on, a group of people from Jerusalem who knew that Jesus was coming, then a large mob of them come out of Jerusalem and they meet them in the middle. And this wild, spontaneous, chaotic celebration takes place. Now, they chanted different things about Jesus. Every one of the Gospels has a little bit different rendering. Is this the, the son of David? Is this the king? Is this the king of Israel? Mark is kind of guarded. He says simply the one coming in the name of the Lord. But the spectacle takes place, and they're coming, and they're celebrating Jesus. And Jesus just rides along, looking at the crowds, these crowds are probably mixed emotions. Many, some of those people are just wanting to see Lazarus, wanting to get in on the things. You know, have you ever gone to see somebody, a dignitary or something like that? When I was a kid, we went down to a street in Colorado Springs and watched John F. Kennedy drive by in a limousine. There he went. There were the curiosity seekers. There were zealots. There were people who wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome and restore the Davidic kingdom. There were true believers, but there were also 
opponents, Pharisees in the crowd. It was a big mixed multitude. Does Jesus stop and clarify things? You know, the gospel accounts, except for Luke, have nothing to say about what Jesus said. Because apparently he didn't say anything to the crowd. He didn't reject what they were shouting, even though he knew many of their hearts were not understanding the things that were going to happen. Jesus is leading us to an understanding of him. And so we come to the second aspect, which is really looking a little bit more in depth at Luke. Because Luke opens up to us that Jesus is revealing himself, that the demonstration that's being made is not just a spontaneous thing that erupted out of the crowd, but something orchestrated and put clearly in place by Jesus himself. When you read the accounts, Matthew and Mark and John, they just say they went to Jerusalem. They did this. But when you look at Luke, Luke again and again refers to Jesus as he did this. He was going up to Jerusalem. He sent his disciples. He speaks to the Pharisees. He weeps on the hill. It's focused on Jesus because this demonstration is not simply a means of getting attention. It's a means of pursuing the path that God has laid out for him. And he is going to be not the Messiah that comes into town on a white charger with a retinue of soldiers and their shining armor and beating of drums and the playing of instruments. No, it's a ragtag mob. And a guy on a borrowed donkey riding along and, and, and no soldiers, but people tearing branches off of trees and throwing their cloaks on the ground. and It's a mob. This is no entry of a conqueror or a king into the city. This is a humble guy on a donkey. The donkey is very important because Jesus is making a statement. As I am coming, I am not coming to you as an earthly king. I'm coming to you as a servant, humble, lowly. As Matthew said, Come unto me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The demonstration that's being made here is not simply a demonstration that Jesus has come, but this kind of Messiah is not what you expect. They refer to Zechariah chapter 9 for obvious reasons, because Zechariah chapter 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation." humble and mounted on a donkey, and he will speak peace to the nations. Disciples didn't understand half of what was happening, but Jesus knew that this was not only a fulfillment of prophecy, this was a demonstration of the nature of his kingdom, that he is coming to bring salvation to a sinful world. He's coming to bring peace in the midst of conflict. I mean, we look at the news and what do we see? Nothing but war and violence and shootings. But he hasn't come 
to bring that. He's come to bring peace in men's hearts. But there's a path to get there. And so as we look here at the coming of Jesus on the Palm Sunday, we find that the Pharisees are saying to him, hey, this is getting out of hand. Why don't you silence these people? Look, see those soldiers up on the gate there? We don't want to get any problem with them. This isn't right. Tell your disciples to shut up. And Jesus says, no. If I told them that, the very stones would rise up and shout who I am. Jesus is making it very clear that this is the demonstration of the kingdom that He is bringing. And it's a kingdom of salvation, of transformation. And He goes on then to weep. How often in Scripture do we find the emotions of Jesus described? Not very often. But Luke makes this very big point. As they reached that point and they looked out over Jerusalem, Jesus began to weep. Oh, that you only knew what you're losing because you do not believe me. And then he prophesies, every stone will be torn down. This city will be... Now, we just read a little bit about Jerusalem, you know, 600 years before, Austin talked about the destruction that was going to come upon the prophets of Jerusalem because of the sinfulness and untruth they were being. The city was torn down. The Babylonians tore it down. It was rebuilt. And now, again, condemnation comes to the priests. The rulers, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were not leading the people to God. They were in putting upon them an impossible burden of rules and commandments they had to keep. Jesus again and again and again had to confront them throughout the Gospels for their false teaching and the ways that they have turning people away from the truth of how it is that they are going to become righteous and it's only through what God can do. He is coming. He is becoming our salvation. His righteousness will come to us because we're unable to be righteous before God. And so Jesus, as He looks upon the city, He knows that in 40 years the Romans will come and they will tear this city down completely. Almost nothing remains of that city except for the West Wall where people go and they weep about the lost city, Jerusalem. Jesus is weeping over the sinful nature of mankind, and He's also weeping because He knows the path to the cross that lies before Him before these things will be accomplished. The next time we see Jesus weeping, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows that before Him is both Monday, Thursday and Good Friday. Before them is the upper room and the washed feet and the Lord's table, the tears of Gethsemane and the betrayal, sufferings, trials, multiple trials, trials in which he is obviously falsely being accused and tried, a scapegoat. As the high priest had prophesied earlier in the book of John, Caiaphas says, it's better that he die than the nation dies. And yet, ironically, the nation would live only when he died.
the true people of God. Before him is a crown of thorns and a cross and a death. A stone rolled up against a grave and then rolled away in a resurrection. Jesus has already told his disciples this and they don't understand. He, he tells them, that, Jesus, I have to go to Jerusalem and be mocked and spit on, accused and put to death and then I will rise. And immediately after his disciples are saying, where do we get to sit in the kingdom? They don't yet understand, but Jesus, as he looks upon the days that are coming up of this coming week, he's weeping. Oh, that you had only known the things that make for peace. You know, Luke has picked up on something that the other Gospels did not see in Zechariah because he spoke about peace coming. The peace that Jesus is going to bring. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, he talks about the peace that will come, but before that there's a conflict. And peace is important to be seen here because Jesus is presenting himself not as the conquering Lord, but the Prince of Peace. And the peace that he will bring, he will proclaim to us, is spoken of as in Acts as you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah chapter 62, Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. You know, in the Gospels, half of the book of John, one-third of the books of Matthew and Mark, and one-quarter of the book of Luke focus on that last week. Now, we tend to jump from Palm Sunday to Easter, from waving the palm fronds to admiring the lilies. But we must remember the days that go from one to the other. It's very important that we focus on what Jesus went through, what Jesus did, why he was doing that, and what God has accomplished. And you know, this was a demonstration and it accomplished its purpose. The whole city got filled with interest in Jesus and what was going on. Uh, the Gospels tell us that everybody was talking about this. The Pharisees were angry and enraged and they pushed up their timetable. They were going to crucify Jesus at the very peak of Passover. Jesus was demonstrating that I have come in the name of the Lord. I am your King riding on a donkey, escorted by people waving palm fronds. I hope that we too will be waving those fronds through this week as we realize what the Savior has done for us. Let's pray. Oh Lord and Father, this great event that took place so many years ago is an event that speaks to us of our need for a Prince of Peace in a very uncomfortable world of the sin that's in people's hearts and the only way that it can be dealt with is through the cross of Jesus. 
in the newness of life that has come to those who believe through Jesus' resurrection. We just pray, Lord, that this week as we focus upon your saving work for us, that you will help us to be filled with praise, singing Hosanna, blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. Amen.